Today's episode of the City of Smack podcast is brought to you by We Run New York. We Run New York is a documentary series that's currently in production, and it shares the stories of New York City's running scene. I can personally attest that life in New York can sometimes be pretty challenging, and being a runner in the city is even harder. But there's a huge subculture of people who make it a priority and who thrive in the environment, and it's those stories that the series is going to aim to tell. I know that they're dedicating a whole episode solely to Coach Gags, you know, the Bronx native who coaches New Jersey, New York, as well as another episode to a group of Ethiopian immigrants who live about eight plus to an apartment and live on just prize money that they win. The team behind it is the duo of former 800-meter All-American turned filmmaker Harry McFan and his friend and former teammate Paul Snyder, now of City Smack fame. That team's passionate about the sport and the city, so I'm really excited to see the episodes, which are slated to start rolling out later this summer. You can check out We Run New York's website at www.werunnewyorkshow.com or follow them on Twitter or Facebook for updates as they get the project underway. If you have any questions about the project, direct them that way. Today's guest on the show is three-time Olympian racewalker John Nunn. Let's start the show. Now we're joined by Olympian John Nunn on the City of Smag podcast. John, how's it going, and uh, where are we at right now in terms of training and, and I guess, the focus for 2017? Yeah, hey, thanks, Chris. It's, uh, it's going great. Right now, um, we just finished up indoors. We have a shorter indoors uh, than the normal track season for racewalk and just won the Pan Am Cup trials for the 20K. So next month we go down to Lima, Peru for the Pan Am Cup for race walking for 20 and 50k. So we'll do that. From what yeah. I, I think I'm, I might have read it at some point. I think you, you usually take a year off after the Olympics. Uh, I took after Rio. I took an entire month where I didn't do anything. I was just taking up some school classes and just went to school and came home, and then slowly started to get back into it. Usually I'll take a couple months just easier after that, but a whole year is a little hard to come back, especially as I'm getting older. So not quite a year, but we're back in full swing now anyway. So I want to get, I guess, start from pretty much the very beginning because the race walk I find pretty fascinating at times, and it's just the question a lot of people have when they first watch it on TV is, Generally speaking, how does someone go from running to, to race walking? Uh, was there a point, I guess, where you made that transition? And what's kind of the decision-making process like behind that? Sure. I ran cross-country and track in high school. I was a decent runner, but it certainly wasn't going to get me major scholarships. I think my freshman year of high school, I ran a 444 mile and was excited thinking I could probably get down to 415 by the time I was a senior. And the lowest I got was 4.34. I dropped another 10 seconds. Um, I was right around a 10-minute, two-mile runner. 
and went up and did uh, Foot Locker Regionals in Wisconsin at University of Wisconsin Parkside. And my it's dad found out. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's a very tough course. And I, I talked with some colleges and they said, listen, if you go to this race and you do well, uh, we'll entertain the idea of maybe a partial or a quarter scholarship. So I went there for the purposes of hopefully running well and then I'd move on with a running career. After the race, it didn't go that well. And my dad found out they had a race walking team there at the school. NAIA has race walking. Uh, NCAA doesn't. And Wisconsin Parkside was slowly transitioning from NAIA to Division II. However, they had some agreement where they were going to allow the Parkside race walkers to continue to race walk at the NAIA for another couple of years while the transition happened. So we went and talked with the coach. I had no interest in doing it. But the coach uh, asked me my running times, and I told him, and he goes, well, I'll give you full tuition if you want to come race walk. I personally thought it was a joke. I thought it was one of the dumbest things I'd ever heard of. <laughs> I I went home, uh, talked to my college, or my high school coach, and he was I, kind of against it, too. He was like, that's not something you're interested in, right? I was like, no, sir. Uh, continued to try to get more running scholarships or offers and didn't get any. I decided it was worth a, uh, a trip up back up to Wisconsin and to see what the school was like and, and see the guys. Met some of the guys who were racing for the team, and everyone seemed normal and reasonable. And then they started pulling out national team uniforms, and they started talking about trips they'd made and countries they'd visited and races they'd been in. And I started realizing as a 19-year-old kid, you're not worrying about bills or other things in life. And I thought, what a cool way to see the world to compete and race. So I had a dinner with the coach that night and agreed to sign for at least a year, and we would see where it goes. And the first year was miserable. As long as it wasn't negative 20 degrees out, we were told we had to go out and race walk. So with race walking, it's almost the exact opposite of running. Walking or running, you use your, your quads and your calves to be your main propulsion muscles. Race walking, you're using your hamstrings and your shin muscles and your, your glutes to pull you forward. So I had to literally learn how to walk all over again and work with the other guys on the team and the coach, and they spent quite a bit of time explaining and working with me. And there were many days when I would come in from practice and just lay on my bed and not want to move for a couple hours because I was in so much pain. It was so uncomfortable and not something my body was used to, nor I think any human body is used to doing. But within a couple months, things started getting better, and I started winning races on a on a junior national level. And later that year, won junior nationals and went to Cuba for junior Pan Am games and thought this was really cool that I'd gone to a country that we had this embargo act against and mm-hmm. no one really got to go. And here I was. And so from there, decided to pursue it a little bit more and see what would come of it. Um, I think you always think you're going to be in your 20s your whole life, and you think that I can put the rest of life on hold and get after this, and we'll see what happens. And here I am now, 39, and still finished up schooling and working on other things beyond this, but still racing and racing really well. So not necessarily the path or the direction I assumed I would take when I 
agreed for that one year of college. But how long it, did it, it's been a fun ride. How long did it take you to master the form? Um, probably a good six months. I now here's where it got interesting was there. It's race walk is a high school sport in Maine and in Long Island and other parts of New York have it. So some of those athletes, much like anything you do from a younger age, you can pick up bad habits with. And then you show up somewhere ready to perform and people go, listen, you need to fix this and correct that and this looks really jacked up. For me, the benefit was I had a great endurance base. I had some some reasonable speed that was better than the average runner. And I had no clue about the form. So when someone taught me, they were teaching the correct way to do it, and I would immediately try to emulate the correct way versus bringing all these bad habits with me to college. So that was a benefit that I had I, within six months, had it down fairly well. The speed had to come later, but the actual form itself, I did really well uh, considering right away. So I was pleased there. When, when I ran in high school, because I'm from New York, uh, and I would practice at the Armory. Lane one would kind of always be for some of the uh, the race walkers. Do you see a particular age where getting into race walk might be better? Because I guess the body is still developing for young guys and girls in, in high school. By the time you got into it, you seem to have already have been in, I mean, you were in, in college, so uh, your body is pretty well developed. Is there... Body-wise, is there, is there uh, a, a benefit to being a certain uh, age? I think from personal experience and listening to what other people have said, I think the short answer is no. It's just like someone younger running. Uh, you just The only thing you have to be careful is just the mileage. You wouldn't take a 10-year-old and try to pack 75 miles in a week on them. You slowly work them up and get them used to the mileage and in race walking, you're getting used to the mileage, and on top of it, you're getting used to the form. So as long as you have a, a reasonable coach or and a distance coach can coach race walking, they just will need a little help with the form. But as long as you have someone who's sensible and allows an athlete to grow and progress at a at a controlled rate, uh, you can really start as young as you want. Because hopefully, by the time you get to college, one, you're not burned out, and two. Uh, you've done things in the correct way that's allowing the body to grasp the harder workouts that are now going to start coming. So I think it's similar to running in that nature. You can start young. Just be careful. I feel like with with race walk, there's also the mental uh, strength training that, that, that plays a component because I guess you have to put yourself through that pain. It's not, it's not, you mentioned how it doesn't, it's not easy and it, it takes a toll on your body, but for someone starting off young, there might also be like the mental hump of getting into race walk. And was there, was there a little bit of like a self-consciousness type thing where, where, you know, you see people, I guess your age still running and you've decided to move on to, to the race walk was a part of you still hoping, I mean, not really hoping, but like had a feeling of like missing out on, on, on running and what you could have maybe have kept going and and kept doing there. There was definitely a little bit. I remember growing up in high school, um, Gabe Jennings was running around my same time. Uh, Julia Stamps was another female athlete. And I remember reading about these other high school athletes 
in runner's world and other things and you aspire to be like them and, and hope that someday your career will go well. And then to take this weird kind of hard left turn and you end up in race walking, initially it was, there was definitely some frustration, I think, mentally where I go to bed at night wishing, man, I wish I could run. But then it was the Pan, a junior Pan Am trip to Cuba that all of a sudden I'm with Gabe and with Julia and we're all on the same team. And I started making other teams and realized some of these people were my, my childhood idols or that were five or six years older than me. And now I'm on the same team they're on and I may not be running, but I'm race walking and I'm getting to experience everything they get to experience that was my dream of being able to do. So that certainly helped an awful lot. But there definitely was, I mean, race walking is an awkward, an awkward sport. It gets made fun of. People think it's, it's silly and why would you just not run instead of walking? But it's an event like any other in track and field. And, and once I kind of got past that, I realized I'm really good at it and I can beat the average runner walking. So I started to have a little more confidence in what I was doing, which helped a lot. And you've been around enough national teams where you're rubbing shoulders with some of these top athletes, whether it's some of these young sprinters coming out of college or, or some of these veterans who have gone to, to multiple Olympic games. Every time you're on these national teams and you're meeting some of the younger faces, what's that conversation like where kind of you're explaining to them what you do and then the light bulb in their head, do you kind of see that light bulb in their head go off when it's, when they realize it's like, okay, some of these preconceived notions I had about the race walk aren't, uh, are, are, are totally wrong. And it's, it's not an easy way to get to the Olympics. It's not an easy way to get to worlds. It's, it's a lot of hard work. And from, I guess, what your conversations with them is, do you see that moment, whether it's like in their face or like, I guess the respect that they, they show you afterwards? Yeah, I, I do. And it's been, it's been kind of fun. So I, I think for me, it's been a little two part. I, I enjoy all the other events in track and field. And so I'm just a track and field fan in general. So I try to study times and, and see who's up and coming. And it's fun for me to see. Um, two, and I'll explain this a little bit that I have this cookie company with my daughter and every national team I make, uh, be it we're at a training camp in some other country or we're getting ready for world champs or the Olympics, quite often um, I would just make cookies. I find it relaxing and comforting like home and it's just, I don't know, eventually a lot of the younger athletes would show up at my door wanting cookies or I'd be in the <laughs> kitchen in the hotel and they would be trying to get back into the kitchen so that they could either help make cookies or be the first in line when the warm cookies come out. So that helped bridge a little bit of a gap because here's these young group of individuals that are very, very good at their events and potential medalists, and yet they would ask me what I do, and as I explained, they were willing to sit and listen because there were some cookies involved and other things. One of the, I think one of the most interesting situations that happened was with English Gardner, who she and I are great friends now, which is so odd that there's this age gap and she's this incredible 100-meter sprinter, and here I am, this 50-kilometer race walker, and we can hang out the whole night and have a blast together. But it started in Linz, Austria, 
prior to 2013 World Championships in Moscow. We were there for two weeks or 10 days or whatever doing a training camp. And there was a concentration camp just outside of, of Lenz that was roughly about 30 to 35 kilometers away. And I had worked with the coaches and uh, Randy Wilbur is a physiologist from the USOC. He was there with us too. And so the coach, um, Troy Engel and Randy, and I decided on a Saturday I was going to walk out to the concentration camp. I had a long workout, so we might as well walk out there and they would bike. So we, I walked the whole way and got to 30K and then hopped on one of their bikes with them and we kind of got up to the concentration camp just a couple kilometers away. Had such a moving experience that when I got back, it took the whole day getting back with trains and buses and things were down, but we got back to the, the hotel and I started talking with the USATF staff and said, listen, I know we're leaving Monday, but tomorrow would be a great opportunity for every athlete to go experience a concentration camp because it was just so emotionally moving and and part of a world history we don't have here in the U.S. So they set up these buses and virtually everyone went on this trip. It was, you didn't have to go, but there were about three or four who stayed back. And some of them were people who had already been to concentration camps and it was one and done. I've seen it. I don't want to experience it again. It's horrible, but it was worth seeing. So apparently the whole way out, they started talking to each other on the buses, the athletes did, and they were asking, how did we find out about this? And where, like, why are we all going? And someone said, oh, John Nunn walked out here yesterday. And they proceeded to not think much of it until it took them like <laughs> 30, 40 minutes into the bus ride out. Someone, I think it was English, looked at someone else and goes, no, 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 no. Like, he walked out here? Like, we're still <laughs> driving. And they were like, yeah. And so apparently they got there and were dumbfounded at how long it took them to go in a car and then the idea that yesterday morning I walked the whole way out there. So English finds me that night, and I didn't know her. And she corners me and was like, you did not walk out there. And I go, I did. <laughs> and she goes, no, no, that's not humanly possible. And so we had this long conversation, and she goes, you have to explain to me what you do. And I started telling her about the form, the technique, and she goes, no, no, this, this, this doesn't work this way. No one walks that far. And I was like, I, I did. Well, they ended up paying attention and watching as we came. Um, the Moscow race went horribly for me. I cramped up and finished, and they had to cut my uniform off of me and leave me under the stadium with an IV for two hours. And, and so here they had seen me train. They had gone out to the concentration camp and then saw the race evolve and within a day after the race, I think I had gained a lot of people's respect of that, okay, we get it. And you're welcome to make fun of race walking because it's silly looking, but this is one of the most brutal events. Um, and that's what I was hearing from quite a few, like we've ever seen. We've never seen someone put their body through this type of torture and then come out of it on the back end and go, well, give me a couple months and we'll go do another one. They're like, it just, life doesn't work this way. And I was like, well, I've made good teams with it and I've had good experiences. So with that, I, I guess to, to come back to the answer that there have been an awful lot of elite level athletes within the U.S. that have gained much more respect for race walking 
and been shocked once they realize exactly what it is and how much work and pain goes into it. So, sorry, that was kind of a long answer. No, that was that was totally interesting. And so, what's the reverse? What are your some some of your favorite events to watch? Um. So I'm a huge fan of of the 100 meters and not necessarily for what someone might think because they run so fast. It was at that same trip when we were in Moscow, I was sitting at dinner with Jason Richardson, Justin Gatlin, myself, and there were a couple others around. And they were asking me about the pressure and pain I put on my body to a 50K. And, And so I started asking similar questions about the 100. And they started explaining the physiological aspect that goes into it and they said we you think we only run a hundred but our bodies get so jolted and so like locked up with lactic acid and everything because we're pushing to the absolute max in such a short time that then they went on to explain the the semifinals and then they go back into a tent and rest for about an hour and a half and they got to be ready to go in the finals and they said so we do it uh, on the standpoint of you got to push hard enough in the semis to get a decent lane assignment mm-hmm. and to get out of the semis, but still be able to recover within 90 minutes to be back on the track, pushing your body beyond 100% max that you can and try to win the race. And so once they started explaining it to me, the 100 meters took on a whole different perspective because as someone who just watches track, you see him do semi or quarters the day before, they come in and do semis, 90 minutes or two hours later, they're doing finals, and you're like, oh, cool, they won. Well, good for them. But when they started walking me through, I guess more or less like how I had walked them through a 50K, the respect level just went through the roof. And I was like, this is one of the most brutal events I've seen, even though it's just 100 meters. They were like, yeah, we have a hard time <laughs> coming back. If you push too hard in the semis, it makes the finals really difficult to get through. So. The 100 was great, and then the 800 is fun to watch, I think, because it's turned into, it's evolved over the last 20 to 30 years into just a full-on sprint. You used to see people, the first 400, just relax and then push really hard in the last four, but those guys go hard from the minute the gun's off, and it's really impressive to see how hard they can hammer it for for two full laps. It's a fun race to watch to me. If you had it your way and would have stuck with with running, wh- I guess wh- what were you? I guess maybe focused on on maybe pursuing, uh, like I guess with distance. And uh, I mean, if you had it your way, what, what would you be running? Um, I like the I like the five k because you can you can bounce down and run some fifteen hundreds and three k's for training and do very very well at it, like Paul Chalimo can jump to a 3K and, and hold his own very strongly there like he did it indoors. And then you have the opportunity to jump up to 10K and try it uh, because your training has allowed you to, to get there. So 5K to me would be a sweet spot. But after all these years and looking at how fast they go, even when I was young and thought I was fast, man, I would have gotten destroyed in a 5K. <laughs> like, it just... There would have been no question about it. So race walk in the 50 days is probably better for me anyway. <laughs> with with race walk and the training that goes into it, 
there's I, I feel like there's also a loneliness behind it because sometimes I mean you you might be out there by yourself or you don't know if there's another elite uh, elite race walker you know with within uh, I guess like driving distance for you uh what oh, so we all know about the loneliness of a long distance runner what's the loneliness of a uh of a race walker like it's it's probably the same and then i would assume potentially a little worse uh, the nice thing about distance running is if someone has a 20 mile workout they can go out and knock it out um in a much shorter time than a race walker can so they're still covering the same distance but uh the walker's going to be out there for potentially a good hour longer, which means it's just more loneliness compounded, even though you all are getting roughly the same workouts. Um, there's a couple of guys here in San Diego that I work out with. Uh, we meet up multiple times a week. But tomorrow's an example. I think I have a 35K, and I, I think the other guys have stuff going on, so I'll end up doing it on my own. And, yeah, I don't listen to headphones because we can't listen to them in the race. So it's just something I I decided a long time ago I wasn't interested in using it as a as a crutch sometimes to get me through. I'd rather learn to become more mental tough. So um, tomorrow can be a long one, but I just let my mind wander when I'm training. Um, sometimes I think about what I'd do if I won the lottery <laughs> and if I... I, I'll play the whole thing out, who I would give money to and where I would go and what kind of house I would buy. And If you do that long enough, pretty soon you end up like 45 minutes into a workout and you haven't thought about much else. And the workout's now over a quarter of the way done. So there's some positives. Um, it, it definitely makes you stronger. I Part of me embraces the loneliness. You You know what you need to do and you just, go out and do it. So I don't, I guess I don't know much different. And I guess since you're running 35K, the focus for the summer later on will probably be the 50K? It will. So I have, uh, I'll do the 20K down at Pan Am Cup in Lima next month and 20K at Outdoor Nationals. And then I've already qualified for the 50K World Championships in London. So that'll be the the focus and the plan. So we do, do you, 20 case. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was, I guess, kind of curious. How do you explain the technical nature of a 50K compared to how you approach a 20K? Because with the 50K, I mean, it's, I guess, like five miles longer than, than a marathon. And just, it's, that, that sounds, that sounds painful. <laughs> it It is. Um, to be honest, I really enjoy the 50K. I'm sorry, I enjoy the 20K. In fact, um, my daughter's going to come down to Peru with me. And she was like, "You're what race are you doing? And I said, the 20K. And she goes, oh, God, thank goodness. <laughs> because she will be the one who will usually sit in the hotel room while I'm running to the bathroom, throwing up all night long because I just feel sick from the race or not being able to move because my body's all cramped. And she's like, Dad, you just recover so much better after 20K. Um, the 20Ks have have a good opportunity for the 50K with training because I can use the 20Ks to build up speed. And um, it actually makes it kind of fun that I get going in a 20K. And even though you're hurting, you have that 50K base to, to live off of during the race. And you realize, man, I got 
like 8K more or 5K more. Or when you hit halfway, you're only 50 minutes into the race versus being two hours into the race. And so you realize, I, I can get this. And you tend to, I find myself stepping up a little bit harder and, and pushing more than what I normally would when I was just training for 20Ks when I was younger. So makes it fun. After you finish a race, how bad is it? You mentioned how bad it was after after Moscow, but is it is it usually like that? I mean, I, you had I think like the flu or something. I think before when you qualified for for Rio, I did. Yeah, I got the I had the flu two days before, and it just kept getting worse. Um, was able to get through the race and actually walked the PR and and did well. But I found myself an hour or two afterwards feeling pretty sick again, and so uh, the. 50K is just, it's just awful, but awful in a good way. I mean, the things you accomplish and the things you learn about yourself during that race, it, it can be pretty intense. But, I mean, the course of the last World Championships and Olympic Games, Moscow, I was under the stadium for hours being IV, um, Beijing. I made, I, I guess looking back, I mean, I made the mistake, but I had, I think about four five-hour energy drinks during the race because I just kept thinking, like, I'm fading, I'm fatiguing, I just need something. And so I don't think I drank all of the bottles, but probably about three-fourths of them. And when I got done with the race, I had drug testing, and I get in the bus on the way back, and I started feeling so nauseous. And I talked with some of the docs, and I explained to them what I did during the race, and they were they kept telling me, well, there's no wonder why you're nauseous. I <laughs> threw up all afternoon, didn't go anywhere, ended up laying in the hotel room and throwing up most of the evening and through the night um, just because I don't think the body should ever have four bottles of five-hour energy within <laughs> probably a 90-minute span. <laughs> that's, that's not healthy. And clearly the body didn't want to. Um, and then Rio just was immensely hot and just stunned me and struggled through the end of it. And then I remember getting back to the village and I was getting ready to take a shower and I I took a quick pee and I looked down and everything was red in the toilet. And I was like, oh no. So I went down, I actually, I took a picture and went down and showed it to the doctors and they were like, Listen, man, you're peeing blood. Oh. And I was like, okay. And they said, have you ever had this? And I go, no, but today was a really hard day. Like, physically, I was okay. I recovered from it way better than what I had the others in the past. But I think it was just the heat and humidity and the race itself was just a hard race. So we watched it, and throughout the rest of the day, it eventually the, the redness faded, and I did better. But the doctors were like, let's just keep an eye on it. So, yeah, I peed blood for hours after the race on that one. So, I guess, I mean, my hope is that people would be interested in trying race walking and we're all looking <laughs> for people to do it. But this is not a very good public announcement to get people to want to come, I'm sure. Uh so, I mean, you, you mentioned taking, I guess, like the five-hour energies. And right now, I guess, with the focus on everyone trying to break two hours for the marathon, everyone's got their own special drinks. And uh, is it different for the race walk and what you what, what everyone has, I guess, along the course? I mean, would the same 
special, I guess, drink that Bekele is drinking during the marathon kind of be helpful for, for a race walk? Yeah, it, it certainly would. I mean, a lot of it is based on the individual physio- physiology of an athlete and what they can take and what their body needs. The only difference for us is we're out there so a 50K you're out there three and a half to four hours, a marathon five miles less, but they're only out there for two hours or just mm-hmm. over two hours. Uh, so if they miss an aid station, uh, it, it hurts them, but their race is going to end a lot quicker than ours. If we miss an aid station or we're not taking in the right amount of sodium or electrolytes or carbohydrates, uh, it can hurt you later on in the race because you're talking, uh, I mean, a solid hour and a half to hour and 45 minutes longer than the marathons are out there. So if you're not taking the right stuff in the first 20K, that last 20K is going to just eat you up and you're going to end up death marching because your nutrients are gone. So I actually prior to Rio went to Colorado Springs and did a heat and humidity test with Randy mm-hmm. Wilbur in, there, in a room they have. They took the altitude down to sea level and humidity to, I think, 80% and about 85 degrees. So they made a worst-case scenario for Rio. And it was great. They took um, sweat samples off of me and saw how much salt I was losing, and then I sat down with the nutritionist afterwards, and we went over a list of... She goes, John, here's here's a list of the drinks that you can try, and it's your personal preference. She was like, but what you're drinking is not good enough for a 50K. You need to change it up. You're not getting enough calories, and your sodium levels are too low. And so that was news, and it was really neat to hear and, and really educational. So I came home and bought a bunch of stuff off of Amazon and just started trying everything and ended up settling on a, the goo electrolyte Indorox drink powder that has high carbohydrates and, and quite a bit of sodium. So it works for me. Now, there's also the runners who take little extra stuff outside of uh, outside of competition. I mean, the race walks had its problems with, with doping, and you're someone who consumes the news of, about the sport and uh, follows things pretty closely and aren't, I guess, like too afraid to be outspoken against uh, doping. Why is it that so many of those high-level race walkers from Russia, I guess, were caught? And what would, I guess, the science find... I guess the doping and the benefits for for a race walker versus the marathoner. I mean, it seems it, it. I guess everyone. It's probably the same. Uh, but I guess like from your perspective, for for these Russians, what what did they see, and I guess how did they justify what they were doing? So I think it, 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 there's clearly multiple parts to all of this, but one of the main things is 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 race walking has nine medals available to it in an event in in its in its event. You have three three for the women's 20, three for the men's 20, and three for the men's 50. So if a country decides to say we're going to focus entirely on race walking, there's a good chance they can walk away with five or six of those nine medals at the end of every Olympics, which medals, regardless of what they come in or what event, medals are still medals to a country. And I believe... Um, it seems like over the years, Russia took that approach 
They built a full training center. They pumped millions of dollars a year into their race walking center. And they had a systemic system moving that was was dealt with with doping and getting the athletes on par. And there would be times when someone would win a world championship and then they wouldn't be at the next um, Olympic Games or World Champs. And you would ask and you'd start to hear rumors that their certain levels within their body were too high and they were going to get popped. So they pulled them and threw someone else in. And the person they threw in ended up winning the world championships or finishing in the medal contention, top three. And so they, you, it was obvious they were just running this entire system uh, Chagan, who was their coach, uh, who's now, I believe, been banned for life. Mm-hmm. If, if I remember correctly, I mean, you're talking of somewhere over the last 20-plus years, you're talking over 30 athletes that served bands, that got caught, that he was coaching. Uh, to me, that's unheard of. I, usually, it's, it's two or three, and then the coach goes away because people stop working with them. But because they were running, there's no question in my mind it was a state-sponsored, systemic program that these athletes, I don't even know if they had much choice in what they were doing or being told to do. But what it was doing was pulling medals right and left from world championships, from World Cups, European championships, Olympic Games. They were killing it. And I think finally the athletes got frustrated enough Outside of Russia, they started putting enough pressure on WADA and the uh, IAAF to start asking more questions. And eventually it was athlete-led and and blew the whole thing open. So. I feel like you were at enough races where you kind of saw these I mean, some of these same faces that – and. I think I've talked to Shalene Flanagan and it, it, and a couple other athletes, and when athletes get popped later on, they always the the other athletes who finish behind them always say, "Well, I guess like the athletes know who's who who they think is clean and who they think is uh, uh are, are dirty." And so I guess what's just kind of like the atmosphere like before a race like that, where you're standing around next to to some of these Russians, like are, like is everyone else just kind of giving them like the side eye just because it's like you they everyone knows <laughs> yeah they they are i mean i remember standing on starting lines and looking around and and listen i i've never won a medal in a major world championships but uh when everyone suffers through a 50k together i think it's kind of like the decathlon at the end they all do a victory lap and and applaud each other and do bows together um the 50k is kind of similar you have this brotherhood where you all suffer together and hopefully helped each other through, but the Russians would, would stand alone and people hated them, hated them because of, of what everyone knew was going on and the the defiance that was happening from the Russian side of saying, we're not doing anything. But it was very clear. These guys would, I mean, you walk next to them and they're not even breathing hard and you're dying as you're trying to stay with them and you're just wondering... Take your point, this is okay, I'm just maybe out of shape. But then you realize on a world level, the best in the world are still struggling to stay up with them. And so, yeah, there was some definite real frustration. In fact, in Rio, um, Rio and Beijing, 
were really the, the first two races where you see all the athletes, everyone wanting to win, but whoever the winner was was joking and hanging out with everyone before the race too and and was happy to joke and hang out with everyone afterwards. Like it was on that day that guy won and that's great for him. But everyone else worked really hard and it was the first two races I think we all felt everyone was clean for the most part. I mean who knows what someone's doing individually but uh I guess one of the uh the last questions I've got for you is uh I guess like it's the race walk is very popular out in uh, some of these European countries. Uh, what's, I guess, your hope to, to maybe get it, pick up a little bit of steam in the U.S.? Because, like, frankly, I think even you, I think, would admit that it's never going to be as big as running and it's never going to have that mass of an, like, that huge of an appeal. So what's your hope, I guess, to grow it, I think, at least a little bit by the time you're done with the sport? I I agree with you 100%. I don't believe that it'll ever be on par with running as far as popularity or, or anything like that. I do wish that people would acknowledge the work and effort that goes into it and potentially be willing to give it a try. I mean, I yesterday I spoke at a Army recruiting situation and was explaining to them how fast I can walk a mile, and I said 549. I had to wait for about 30 seconds for the crowd to die down because they couldn't believe it and kept talking <laughs> about it. Um, but I I guess if what I would want to see is someone said, hey, whatever you want, we'll make it happen. There are some very accomplished runners who will never make an Olympic team. and And that's just a matter of fact. And it doesn't mean that they're not good individuals, they're not great people, but when you have people barely squeaking into the finals of the 10K at the Olympic trials, or the 5K for that matter, um, or you look at the marathon, you see all these guys who ran under the qualifying time for the marathon, and now you have, um, I, what was the number, it was like 80 some odd guys? I mean, right. totally off. There were an awful lot, and you look at that and go, okay, I can name the top 10 who are going to be in contention for those three spots. And everyone else looks at it that they ran a marathon, they're excited to be a part of it, and now they can tell all their friends they did the Olympic trials. And then at the uh, Olympic trials in Eugene, they had that big wall up where everything was listed by event on who made the Olympic team. And I look at the men's 50K and 20K and realize I'm the only the only one going in the 50K. No one's in the 20, which means there are five open spots. Mm-hmm. And so the frustration sets in a little bit that if some of these guys would get off of their egos and realize that there are other events available that will cater to their endurance abilities, from a marathon, from a 10K, um, that they too can make Olympic teams. And who knows? They, I mean, again, I ran a 430 for a mile. Um, I've never ran a 220 marathon or even under a 230 marathon. And these guys are running that, but they won't make an Olympic team with it. You change that and teach them the 
the biomechanics of race walking, there's a good chance they could be literally one of the top in the world in the process. So I think that's where I would like to see it go, is I'd enjoy seeing athletes who are runners say, I'm going to give this a try for a couple of years, and there's a good chance I can pick up more prize money through USATF. I can race over in Europe. I can get all the things I would be getting as a runner, but even more. Because now, instead of watching the Olympics on TV at home, I'm actually in the village living it because I'm racing. And uh, that's everyone's ultimate dream. I guess my question is, what does it matter whether you you go in a 10K or you go in the 20K walk? You're still an Olympian. No one cares. You still make the team. And, and you got the good news recently that the 50K is going to stick around for a bit. <laughs> yes, that was that was a mess, an absolute mess. We, um, IWF Race Walk Committee, um, I have some definite questions to answer, but I don't think we're going to really get them. I, I will tell you from a personal standpoint, incredibly disappointed and shocked at the idea that they left that room being told, "Don't tell us to anybody." Uh, we'll put out a statement eventually, and I think that's from the race walk chair, and then they never did. And a week before that vote went to the IWF Council, Chris Erickson in Australia got a hold of it, and it became what originally was thought of as a rumor, became very real that, hey, this is out. And all the athletes worldwide rallied around it. We even had, I mean, Molly Huddle tweeted about it, and we had a lot of other athletes talk about it that weren't just race walkers. And I, fortunately, I was in some good meetings with, with the USOC CEO and had a conversation with Angela Ruggiero, who's the IOC athlete chair for the athlete commission there. And everyone was, was supportive. I just think that it didn't have to be in the 11th hour if the race walk committee had been a little more open with what they were doing. Uh, it it could have gotten fixed a little easier. So hopefully lessons were learned and we can move forward. John, I really want to thank you for taking the time uh, to chat with uh, about some race walk. This is really, really interesting, and uh, I appreciate uh, that you uh, taking a moment from your training to, to chat. Yeah, for sure. Chris, thanks for reaching out. I appreciate it. It's always fun to hopefully educate people a little more on walking. Absolutely. People are welcome to get a hold of me. If they want to get a hold of me and ask questions about how to get involved, I'm, I'm more than happy to get them with coaches and everyone else who can help get them in the sport and we can actually fill that whole squad for Tokyo, which would be great. And you've got one of the best Twitter handles out there, John Walker 04. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, just reach out to me. I'm happy to help out anyone. That interview was brought to you by We Run New York. Check them out. WeRunNewYorkShow.com before the series comes out later this summer. Get excited. Get pumped. CDS Mag Podcast will be back. Subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star review, and we'll catch you soon.